0: Hey friends, your pal Mike Shea from Sly Flourish here with the Lazy D&D Talk Show. This is a weekly show in which we talk about all things D&D. And I've got a lot of interesting topics to talk about today. This show, like all of the work of Sly Flourish, is brought to you by the patrons of Sly Flourish. If you want to help support shows like this, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash and signing up to become a patron. Patrons get access to all kinds of exclusive previews of things that I'm putting out, uh, exclusive adventures, video previews, all kinds of interesting things. But most of all, patrons help support shows like this. So for the patrons of Sly Flourish, thank you very much. Yeah, I got lots of interesting things to talk about today. So, and we'll just jump right in because we got a lot of things. So, I ugh, I already forget the name of the 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 Critical Role group, Darrington Press. Uh, Critical Role, the most popular D and D streaming game in the world ever, has a their own press, their own company that does gaming stuff called Darrington Press. And Darrington Press just announced that in 2022, it's coming. We are incredibly excited about it coming in late 2021, early 2022. Does that mean they're just putting it out? It's not going to be a Kickstarter. That is interesting. And they are putting out the Tal'Darai campaign setting. This is done in conjunction with Hannah Rose and James Hake. Uh, I know, I know James was involved. I, I would not be surprised if Hannah was involved in the original Tal'Darai book that was put out under Green Ronin, but now they are putting it out under their own, uh, their own imprint their own label if you will beautiful art you can imagine this book is going to be crazy crazy good right i'm i'm very excited to see it i think it's a really cool approach it brings up from a businessy publisher standpoint brings up a lot of interesting questions and some thoughts but i don't know how interesting those are to to most people um one of the interesting things is that like green ronin did the original one now of course green ronin did it when critical role was kind of new and they certainly didn't know how to publish a book and they, you know, they, they partnered up with a company to do it. And I imagine they probably had, I don't know when that came out. When did the Ride book come out? But I think it went out of print. And you can imagine, like, there's no good reason for a book about critical role to go out of print unless there's some business stuff going on behind the scenes. And I'm sure, there, I'm sure that there was. And something, you know, I, I don't know if it was right. I, whatever it is, it's, it's probably good that Critical Role maintained the rights to Taldorai, however they did it. It's very easy when you're early on in, in publishing to give away rights to things that you create too easily, and then you can never get it back again. The, an example, which is <clears throat> has kind of an interesting angle to it, is Ed Greenwood. Let's take a Ed Greenwood sold the Forgotten. Sold the Forgotten Realms. For five thousand dollars, I was trying to remember how much. So Ed Greenwood, the creator of the Forgotten Realms, who been, who developed it before before D and D was out, sold the Forgotten Realms rights, the, sold the, basically his campaign setting to Wizards of the or to to TSR at the time for five thousand dollars. Forgotten Realms is probably the largest fantasy world in creation. The largest, I think, there's more material written about the Forgotten Realms than any other fantasy world anywhere maybe star wars i'm not even sure about that and but if you ask ed about it and they did they said how do you feel about the fact that you sold the rights to the forgotten realms for five thousand dollars i.e every other forgotten realms thing that ever comes out he doesn't see any money from right and yeah again gandalf here says uh boy you got ripped off he says no he says that if he hadn't sold it no one would ever have seen it so as far as he's concerned, he's glad he sold it because it has become as big as it's become. He's certainly done fine off of it. He doesn't seem like a greedy guy. And he, you know, so his, they, they say, do you feel bad about that? And his answer is no, I don't feel bad about it. However, it is, it is a case where you can kind of look at something and say, wow, here's a world that was created by a guy. Now, I, I certainly think that Tal'Darai and the Critical Role setting got more popular faster than Forgotten Realms did. So the idea that Darrington Press, that, that critical role and, and their group, whoops, spoilers, spoilers, that critical role in their company maintained their own rights enough that they could then pr- print their own one. And this is interesting because Green Ronin published the first one, and it seems like they got that material back. So something in the rights there, I'm, I'm sure there was, whatever they did, they were smart about how they did the rights because they were able to get it back relatively quickly and, and print their own book. And then you have, of course, the, what's it called? Wild Mount you know, the Wild Mount book that Wizards of the Coast published. And, you know, one would think that, like, wouldn't they stay with Wizards of the Coast? But apparently not. Apparently they're on their own. And I think it's probably a smart move because I think they're I think they're too big for Wizards of the Coast, right? I think that there's there's nothing to say if you if you are as big as Wizards of the as you are as big as Critical Role is with the kind of money that they're rolling in from just Kickstarters and everything else and all the other stuff. There's no reason they can't print their own book. So and they are. And that's very interesting. So so yeah anyway Interested to see it come out. I imagine it's going to be very, very successful. I imagine it's going to be very good. I think it is interesting that they didn't kickstart it. Do they need to kickstart it? Of course not. But could they? Sure. And like, you know, I don't know why you wouldn't. Right? Like, it's essentially the most popular pre-order platform in the world, I don't, especially in this industry. I don't know why you wouldn't. But, you know, hey, good on. Also interesting. So on that point, so would you expect more Critical Role Watsi partnership? I would not. I have a feeling we have seen the last Critical Role... I'm sure we'll see a partnership between Critical Role and WotC on other things, and maybe there'll be adventures, or maybe there'll be you know, other things like that. But I don't think we're going to see another Wildmount book, right? Or another book, another sort of campaign source book done on the Critical Role world in Wizards of the Coast, because why would they? Also of interest is that they're partnering up with Beetle and Grimm to do a deluxe treatment of this. So that is going to be tremendous. And what's interesting about this is... is I would imagine a lot of people who buy the book aren't running it or using it. They just want it as a collector's piece. They are big fans of Critical Role. They love the world. They love the characters. They love the actors. They love this whole thing, and they just want to be a part of it, and they have the disposable income to buy a book that's just about it. Well, they might also have the disposable income to buy like a platinum Beetle and Grimm set for the book that has all kinds of physical stuff in it that ties them to the stories. That they hear about in the show. So it seems like the this Beetle and Grimm set would be a really good collector's set for people who just like the show, regardless of whether they're actually going to run it as a game. Sure, I'm sure there's lots of things to make it run as a game, but it doesn't seem unreasonable that if you're a big fan and you have the dip- disposable income that you would buy it. I mean, people buy $5,000 you know Lego sets for Star Wars, right? And it's not like they're out playing with them. So yeah, so I think that that is really interesting as well. I'll be very, I'll be very interested to see how this, how this turns out. Kind of, that was sort of big news and kind of interesting, interesting stuff. Along, so I'm going to be in Arcadia issue six. So Arcadia is MCDM's uh, Matt Colville, if you're familiar with Matt Colville. Matt Colville has a company called MCDM. MCDM publishes a monthly online magazine called Arcadia that's very successful, huge. Let's see, we'll go to their shop, but there's also a Patreon for it. And let's see. So here's like issues of Arcadia, issue one, two, and so on. Do they have Arcadia as a separate little thing here? Let's go to their hamburger. Shop by category. Arcadia Digital Magazine. There you go. So they put out this magazine. Uh, They've done so. They have six issues out so far. They have done so. Turn that off. They have done so. And anyway, I have been working with, oh, look, they have a bundle too. Uh, I have been working with, so so uh, James Intercaso, sort of the lead editor of Arcadia, James and I have worked together before, he's a good friend of mine, and I have been working with him on an article for Arcadia Issue 6 called The Grim Accord which is, this has been announced, Matt Colville announced this on previous shows, it is a group of evil adventurers that you can drop into your game. They're meant to be a very usable group of evil adventurers that can either be rivals or villains or quest NPCs or however you want to use them. You've got these four nasty adventurer characters. They're sort of tier one, tier two-ish, just on the edge of tier one, tier two. Very powerful for tier one and sort of middle of the road for tier two. So that'd be very cool. Anyway, that is coming out. I don't know when it's coming out. I think they said by the end of the month, so anytime it could be coming out and i'm going to be on matt i'm going to be on with matt colville and james intercasso talking about it this friday i think in the afternoon eastern standard time probably i think on youtube so uh keep an eye out for uh matt colville talking live with the authors of arcadia six one of which is me and we'll be talking about this stuff so that that is i'm i'm excited for that. That's very cool. Really great project to work on. James is fantastic. They're really, they they're wonderful publishers to work for. They're probably the hardest part is getting to work for them. Speaking of, Matt Colville, MCDM, has released the PDF of Kingdoms and Warfare. So if you are a backer of the Kickstarter, I was a backer of the digital Kickstarter, and I got my reward. Looks really cool. I haven't had a chance to dive in too much, so I'm, I can't really talk too much about it. But it looks like a really interesting thing, and is certainly big news. And I, I think that it's available for pre-order, Strongholds and Followers. No, that's the hardcover. Oh, they're back in stock. They're having a lot of trouble with physical publishing, as is everyone's. So I guess the Kingdoms and Warfare pre-order is out. That's cheap. Hardcover and PDF for $40. bucks. is cheap. That is really cheap. It's a big book with a lot going on. So they got some cool minis, too. Look at these minis. I haven't really looked at their minis. They got some neat minis here. So that is is coming out. That's that's a, a very reasonable price. If you're interested in... Crunchy war mechanics, crunchy squad-based stuff for your D D game. This is certainly the way to the way to do it. So, so check that out. What else do we got? Oh, so also of interest is Matt Colville mentioned on his show. He and when he and James were talking about the things that they are that are coming out, he mentioned that they are the next big thing that they're working on is a monster book. And as Matt brought it up, he said, "This is." It, it, he, he didn't say it exactly like this, but this is the kind of how it came around. That they are building a replacement for the monster manual which is a big, like, that's a big lift, right? Essentially, unlike Kobold Press, where they make a book of all new monsters, like Toma Beast, Toma Beast 2, and Creature Codex, very, very popular, very successful monster books. Uh, I'm using the Toma Beast 2 now in my Icewind Dale game, and my Fri- Rhyme of the Frostbane game, and I love it. It's really, really great. They want to actually build a n- new monster. They want to build current monsters in a new way. And this gets, if, if you've heard me talk on the show before about the idea of can we sort of pop out and replace chunks of 5e with sort of new ways of looking at it. And I know Matt Colville is a big fan of the fourth edition of D&D. There's sort of a new resurgence of 4, 4e love. James Intercaso certainly has lots of experience working with 4e. And they, so they're coming out with a new monster book that I would expect has 4e-isms in their own monster book, Gandalf says, "What would would that be legal? Yes, it absolutely is legal as long as you don't violate the well. Yeah, so I'm not a lawyer, but as long as they don't take direct intellectual property from wizards that when in, that Wizards of the Coast owns, i.e., beholders and dracoliches and mind flayers and githyanki. There are certain monsters that Wizards of the Coast that were invented for D and D by D and D that Wizards of the Coast owns." They could theoretically, and they have, gone after people with cease and desists when they try to make like a new Beholder stat block without getting any permission from Wizards of the Coast. But there is a thing called the the Open Gaming License, the OGL, and that is backed by a thing known as the System Reference Document, the SRD. You can Google both of these. And if you make a book under the OGL, you have a license from Wizards of the Coast to make... Lots and lots and lots. Essentially, all of the, mon- like, probably 85%, 90% of the monsters in the Monster Manual are under the OGL. And, yeah, you could make something like an Eye Beast, right, instead of a Beholder. Even then, you're probably skirting the line. And so you can make any of the monsters that are in there. And then you can make any new monsters that aren't used by Wizards of the Coast. So you can make your own thing. So if you wanted, if you and if you want to kind of skirt it and say, look, if we want something that will fall in place for the Githyanki, you could create, like, space pirates, right? Elven space pirates. And you could talk about your elf and give them a a unique name, right? And then put your elf and space pirates in there. And it's like, ah, it's obviously a replacement for the Githyanki. And you still own the rights for that. You can actually subset material that is owned by you and not under the SRD in your book. So, yes, there are legal ways to do this. and, And they're smart about it. And I'm sure they'll do it. But it's really, to me, and what's more interesting is the idea that is 5th edition getting to the point where we can sort of pop out sections of it and pop in other ones. I talked about 5e hardcore mode uh, a few shows back. And 5e hardcore mode is sort of a wrapper for 5e that sort of changes how it plays and, and creates a different style of 5e than the core books do. This also is going to create a different kind of style for 5e. It's much bigger. Like, this is going to be a whole replacement to a monster book. So I think that's really fascinating. And I think there are others that are looking at, like, what are the parts that you want to replace? Like, could you create an entire new player's handbook? Like, if you decided, I I hate the ranger, I wish there was a warlord, and I want to recreate the player's handbook with new classes that, you know, I'll have a lot of the baseline classes, because you can, because of the SRD, and then I'm going to add a warlord class, because I like the warlord, and I'm going to fix the ranger class, because I want to fix the ranger, and there's a bunch of other little odds and ends that I want to fix, And have it be directly compatible with all of the rest of 5e. So, in other words, you just replace your player's handbook, and the monster manual still works, the stuff in the DMG still works, all of the rest of the math still works, everything else still works, right? Then you could do it. And then you have this, like, plug-and-play architecture, this plug-and-play design for 5e, which is actually what they had talked about when they originally talked about the design of 5e. They talked about the fact that it was a modular system, but then they didn't really... That wasn't really backed up in the in the product itself. They kind of let go of some of this idea. There, there's some, there's lots of optional rules in the DMG, for example. But generally speaking, like you can't pull out the skill system and replace it with an entirely different skill system. There's nothing like that. But maybe there is. And maybe there is by third-party publishers who say, I want to do a different player's handbook that's compatible with the original player's handbook. Imagine somebody doing like the um, old school essentials, right? A, a 5e compatible of old school essentials where classes are are, are are brought down to their core builds that they are, you know, you, you have sort of the, the you bring like the assassin class back instead of having it be a subclass. You kind of get rid of subclasses, like maybe you don't have subclasses, but you can keep all of the power growth and everything along the lines of the rest of 5e so that when you're playing you can use all of the rest of 5e content directly and not have to convert anything. So that could be really neat. And I think seeing Matt Colville's company MCDM coming out with a new monster book is an example of how 5e can change by third-party publishers to create Sideways side sidecar compatible stuff right And largely i'd argue my the book i'm working on right now the lazy dms companion is similar to like 5e hardcore mode Not nearly in like what approach i'm trying to take But it's going to have like a whole bunch of different guidelines that you can wrap 5e around or that you can wrap around 5e to make it easier to play for story focused gaming right? Improvisational story focused gaming. So, and if you want to see previews of these guidelines, you can do so by becoming a Sly Flourish patron. If you go to patreon.com slash Sly Flourish and sign up, uh, you will get access to this stuff right away. And you can see uh, how these guidelines, mine are certainly like loose guidelines that are just meant to sit on top of 5e. So it's not, mine is much more of a light hand. It is not a like rip out the dungeon master's guide. Here's a whole different dungeon master's guide. Right. I don't if you took my the three books that are in this Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master, the Lazy DMs workbook, and the Lazy DMs Companion, and you said, like, are those like a, a DMG, like Sly Flourish's Dungeon Master's Guide? The answer is not not really. There's still stuff in the DMG you're gonna want. But they sit alongside it really nicely. So really interesting stuff to see Five E, to see MCDM make a new monster manual. That's a that's a big a big drive we'll see how they do so we we had talked about the new dnd book there are three new DD books coming out this year from wizards of the coast let's see if i can remember them all there is wild beyond the witch light which i think is coming out in september there is strixhaven a magic the gathering uh D hybrid book about which is mostly a big adventure but mostly a set of adventures but also a campaign book for running dnd games in the magic world of strixhaven and then there is Fisben's Treasury of Dragons. There are some details of the Treasury of Dragons that came up. I heard about this on N-World, where they talk about, yeah, I guess it's Dragon 38 has uh, a lot of stuff about Fisben's Treasury of Dragons, who it's for. It's got each of the chapters. So if you want to see this, I'm not going to read through it all, but there is a whole bunch of details about what specifically you're going to see, and it seems to include like both character option stuff very much it's a it's a volo guide morden canaan's book for dragon stuff right and that makes that makes sense so i'm really looking forward to it you know mechanical tweaks and personalities of dragons are, are very cool layers and hordes i think that's going to be really cool like this you know layers i think are a really useful dm tool and you know all kinds of stuff about dragons and then bestiary of dragons so yeah here's a, it's all that it describes each of the chapters of this book and I'm excited for it. I think of the three books coming out, I'm probably most excited for because it, like Morning Canaan's and Volo's guide, it's something I can go back to, and I do. Like I, you know, Morning Canaan's and Volo's came back a long time ago, but whenever I like am going to run the Githyanki or the Mind Flayer. so in both cases, like I'm running Mind Flayers and Githyanki in my current *Rime of the Frost Maiden* game, and it was really handy to go back to those books and read the deep. The deep ecology the deep the deep information about both of these races which is more useful to me than stat blocks right because i can always tweak stat blocks so pretty interesting Pix your says it may make sense to keep an eye on the magic the gathering side of the business as well yeah i've actually gotten back into magic i've been i've been playing magic of the gathering arena on my ipad and iphone with the new forgotten realms cards and i've been having a really good time i have a really cool black deck that has loth and orcas and the book of vile darkness and the hand of Vecna, and the eye of Vecna, and Eben, Eben, whatever Eben something the dracolich so i have like all the evil most evil stuff in my black deck and it actually plays and i i win i win sometimes so it's kind of cool so here's another interesting another interesting article that i just read last night this one i think it's on the gizmodo the australian gizmodo page i think it was because of where i saw it I'll paste the link into the chat. All the links to all this are, by the way, are in the notes below if you're listening to the podcast or you are um, watching on YouTube. Boy, I wish I had a reader mode for Chrome so I could get rid of all these ads. So yeah, so so there was a question that was brought up to, James, to, to, to Jeremy Crawford about, has online play influenced the design of D&D products? And he said, yes, as one of the many different kinds of influence we see. Oh my God, with the pop-ups. And it's, this, at first, this kind of freaked me out, right? Like, when I first read this, I was like, yikes. And I, I say yikes... I'll, I'll give I'll give my hot take right away r- without getting into the article and the articles reasonable and his approach is reasonable So the answer is it's not you know, they're not they're not taking a bad approach really But the idea that you are designing your book to support streamers this came up years ago, too And streaming was really scaling up should they be de- de- should they be designing books around streamers? And I think like let's think about this logically what percentage of people are playing streaming games Compared to the percentage that are not playing streaming games, and I don't think it's out of hand to say it's at least 10 to 1, right? And I bet you it's even more. I bet you it's like 100 to 1. It could be 1,000 to 1, right? It's orders of magnitude more people are playing without streaming than are, which means if you want to support the bulk of your customers, you probably don't want to spend too much time worrying about whether or not it works for streamers, right? That's that's my opinion, right? Because, I mean, you can go into Twitch at any given time. And the other thing is like, I don't think people recognize the vast, the vast exponential curve of audience members to streams. Yeah. Tons of people watch streaming games, right? But if you take out the top three biggest streaming games, which is like Adventure Time, I'm making these up. I don't know if these are actually the top three, but let's say you took out Critical Role, obviously, Adventure Time, I think. And somebody tell me what the third, I don't even know the third, right? Like, I live and breathe this industry, right? And I don't know what the third most... I probably have heard of it if somebody reminds me of it. But I don't really know what the third highest volume streaming game is, right? And then it scales way down. You have a bunch of them that are supported by... Uh, yeah, so Dimension 20. Yeah, Dimension 20 is pretty big. Arcadium. See, be, we don't even know, right? And so it'll be interesting. So heard, I don't stream my games, so I know it's not me. Some say acquisitions Incorporated, right? But how? Th- those are not like regular streaming shows, right? So it scales way down. And then if you go to Twitch on any given day, and I like to poke my head into Twitch regularly and kind of see who's doing what. I like to crash people when they're doing DM prep. I like to hang out in their chat and talk to them about DM prep. And the reality is like, it scales way down. The viewership numbers fall off a a list, fall off a cliff as soon as you get out of like the top five, right? People aren't just watching it. And it's kind of sad because a lot of people have put a lot of effort and a lot of production value into streaming their games. And not 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 a lot of people are watching, right? Not depending on what you're depending on what you're going for. So, how big is streaming games really big for the top players, and not really big for everybody else? And then how does that compare to just the people playing D and D? And I think way more people are just playing D and D at home, right? Way more, millions probably, than are playing in a streaming game. So if you design even if you apply 10% of your design thought to worrying about streaming games, that's probably too much, right? Because your percentage isn't that high. So when I saw this, I was like, oh my God. And, and so, th- so it was like, I, I saw this and I immediately went, oh my God, WotC, if they're, if they're aiming for streaming games, you're cutting off your audience because most of your audience is not a bunch of streamers, right? Not, not, there's anything wrong with that, right? Streaming game is great, but should you design? And I think there's room to design a game for streaming, right? I get that or even optional rules for how to stream a game. I think that that's really good too. Do you design your mainstream products with that in mind? I don't think you're going to get a big audience for that. Not, you're not going to probably not going to get as much use as you think you're going to get compared to the rest. So that was my initial reaction. Then I read it, and it's very reasonable. It says it's one of the many different types of gameplay that we look at, and that we, we, you, know, we've, we, we in, you know we 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 hear in you know we know DD is a big tent. We talk about this going back. Lots of good quotes about hey we know it's big. We know there's lots of different plays. There's heavy tactical people. There's heavy roleplay people. We know we have to build for both. There's also streaming games. You know we're concerned about supporting traditional tabletop play, but also the types of DD. Experiences people have on stream. So they're doing both, which is kind of like we have to support everything, which is actually kind of an anchor that DD holds. They have to support everybody with everything. It's why they still have stat scores. Right. So, but then he does say one of the things that's been on my for several years, the result of popularity streaming games combined with actually the tidal wave of new people coming in is bite sized adventure content. Right. He talks about the importance of bite sized adventure content. And then he says the essentials kit, which is like one of my top three favorite adventures is built this way. I really like Dragon of Icepire Peak. I think it's really good, and I like that it's bite-sized here. And then last year's campaign, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden, and that's I go, ugh, right? So then I go from, oh, okay, he's being very reasonable, about it, to ooh, because like I got big problems with Rhyme of the Frost Maiden, right? I'm running it, and I've got big problems, and I'm talking to people, and they have big problems. So the idea, if that's the model, we need to. They, I, I would hope that Wizards is paying a lot of attention to that model. And, and doing it the right way, and I can I'll, I'll I'll describe why. But basically, what they're saying is we want to give more bite-sized content that you know content that is essentially less than four-hour adventures. So like ninety-minute adventures or, or two-hour adventures instead of four. And if you look at a lot of the adventures in the Dragon of Icebar Peak adventure or in Rhyme of the Frost Maiden, some of them could definitely be short adventures. I've I've definitely run some of these in, in under three hours. Right? Some of the quests that are inside Rhyme of the Frost Maiden is is under three hours. So. So that's all fine. Bite size, bite size adventures is something they're doing. They apparently are doing that, but while well beyond the Witch light so it'll be interesting to see how they do it there. Again, I give my give my 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 advice on this topic, which I try to hold heart, which is I do not let my happiness be determined by what Wizards does with their products. Right? I am I am excited for their products, but I also I'm I'm always measured. I try to be measured. So that when I see it, I don't get upset and go, "Oh, they didn't do it the way I would have done it," right? Which is very easy to do. They didn't consult me. Why didn't Why didn't they ask me to? I would have done this so much better. So, that's something to consider. Uh, why Rhyme of the Frost And I've talked about this before, and I will do this without spoilers. Uh, but I've talked about it on my Rhyme of the Frostmane show, right? And I've been running it now. I'm deep into Chapter 2 at this point. 22, 20, 22 sessions in for two different groups. So I've run a lot of Rhyme of the Frostmane. And they did a lot of bite-sized content in Chapter 1. And Chapter 1 is enormous. And it's way too big to run as a campaign. Because there's like 13 quests... There's 13 quests in chapter one and a bunch of potential side quests. And you're supposed to leave chapter one by the time you hit level four, which means 13-ish quests. You don't have to do them all, obviously, but they're all exposed. They're all there, right? For three levels of play, first, second, third, right? And first you should do one quest and then your second, which means you're talking about like 12 quests plus sub quests for two levels it's way too much content and and i've talked so i have a discord that i hang out in the Sly Flourish discord where we hang out about and talk about lazy dm stuff and we have a special channel just for talking about Rhyme and the frost mostly cuz i'm running it right and we have, we wanted a spoiler free a spoiler filled version of of that of that of that realm we'll probably have one for our wildly on the witchlight too and in there, I've had somebody who's, like, they talked about one of the quests, and there's, there's like, a side quest that sort of happens. Like, once you finish this quest, you get this thing, and then somebody comes and steals the thing. And he so said, my group is now all about, like, that thing getting stolen, who stole it, and where it went, and traveling around to try to find out what's going on. And the, the you know, now that's not even one of the quests, but it's going to take multiple sessions to deal with, and that's not even the main thing. So, like it's so it's so easy to get lost in all of this stuff that's in Chapter One. It's a huge chapter, and it's too few levels. And someone else said, you know, you could have done a one to ten campaign just in the chapter one. And I think that's about right. I bet you could you could certainly do one to seven in in that campaign. I think you'd have to rebuild the adventure. Everything after that would have to be scaled way up because it's it'd be like twice as good. But like, there's so much material, and it is these bite-sized things. And could you buy Frost Maiden and just run adventures? you know, in 10 towns and just run them one after the other and make it very episodic. You, you could, right? And that, and that would be fine. As a campaign, it's not really working for me because there's just too much material at low levels, right? And, and, and I had a really hard time getting out of chapter one for both of my groups. And now I have, my recommendations is like, pick five, pick five quests in there and run those five right? Don't run 13. Don't even expose 13. Pick six that you like. Let them pick the four that they like. Once they've completed four, get them into chapter two, right? So, because that's the only way the leveling works. My point with this article was, at first, I was like, they shouldn't, I, I hope that they're not designed, I don't know, I mean, they can they do what they want, right? My Happiness doesn't rely on what Wizards of the Coast decides to do with d But if I were in their shoes, I would be careful about tuning the game around streaming. And I don't even know what that means, right? I don't know, like, what does it mean to Tune around streaming because if it means more theater of the mind, I'm good with that. And maybe there's lots of things you can do that support streaming that also supports everybody in D and D that that's cool too. But generally you don't want to put streaming things in there. Like here's how to handle it when you have an audience, right? And here's how audience participation can matter. First of all, you're not going to get a lot of audience most of the time. So then, but but then seeing that they're they're talking about episodic, I mean, that's great. But then when they use Rhyme of the Frostmaiden as an example, I go, well, for me, Rhyme of the Frostmaiden didn't work. I don't recommend it, right? If people ask me, should you buy Rhyme of the Frostmaiden? I'd say, no, buy other ones. There's other, I would buy Dragon by Spire Peak. I would buy Tomb of Annihilation. I would buy Curse of Strahd. I would buy Lost Mind of Phandelver. The starter set, the essentials kit, Curse of the Strahd, and Ghost of Saltmarsh, which is kind of episodic. But I like Ghost of Saltmarsh a lot more. So... I have many other recommendations and I have a whole video where I talk about recommendations in these. If you want to see like what my ranking of the D and D videos are, what my ranking of D and D hardback adventures are, but I'd rather play, even though people bash it, I would rather play tyranny of dragons. I think because tyranny of dragons has a lot of cool stuff. Anyway, with that news, am I slightly worried for, no, I'm not, I not I'm not worried. So uh, uh, Gandalf asks, am, am I worried about wild beyond the Witchlight?" Worried is extreme. I'm, 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 you know, what, how do I feel? I'm excited. So I'm very excited because it's an optimistic adventure for one, right? I'm very excited about that. I'm curious if they went to having lots and lots of authors or not. It's not clear if they had tons and tons of authors. So, so that that's a question. But, you know, the other one if I have to go and be, be a Bayesian guy about it, right? My my Bayesian side would say what's the most likely thing to occur is generally what has occurred in the past kind of, right? That's not really Bayesian, but I'm going to use my base rate, and the base rate is the last three hardback adventures have been, have had a fair bit of problems for me, right? Horde of the Dragon Queen, I had major sections of that that I had to rebuild in order to get the game where I wanted it. I felt that the adventure was really weird, like it was really weirdly put together. But I guess Ghost of Saltmarsh came out after that, and Ghost of Saltmarsh I liked, but it was a different kind of. Tyranny of Dragon, or not Tyranny of Dragons, Descent into Avernus. Major problems, had a lot of issues getting that adventure where it's going. And now rhyme of the Frostmaid, major problems. I have had to do a lot. And, and in many cases, in similar ways. So I'm, I'm you know, I'm cautiously optimistic. Am I going to buy it? Yeah, absolutely, I'm going to buy it. I'm very happy that it's an optimistic, cool, wild, whimsy, fairy kind of adventure. I dig that. So I'm excited for that. And I'm sure, you know, like, like we go to the other one, it's like, it's one book, right? Like we make a big deal out of this because the marketing arm kind of sweeps us in and we get really excited about it. But it's a book, right? It's one book of many. And we got 100. And my room is filled with hundreds of books of d content that I can play. Many from third party publishers that are awesome. So, you know, I don't have to worry too much because if it's if I read it and I go, oh, they, they missed the mark again, then I'll run Empire of the Ghouls, right? Because Empire of the Ghouls looks really cool. So, not every book is for your group, right? And there are some people that I'm sure are really excited for Rhyme of the Frostmaiden, and maybe they're not having any problem at all. And that's great. I, I don't assume that my problems are everyone's problems, but I do talk to a lot of people and I read a lot of stuff, and I see that some of the same stuff kind of comes back up. So, I don't think these problems are just my own. I've, I've done some research to say I know I'm not alone in the problems that I've been having, Rhyme of the Frostman*. even from people who love it. My friend Sam Dillon is playing it, and he likes it a lot, and he's having a very easy time. But then when we talk about the problems, he goes, Oh, yeah, those are certainly the problems that I've got. So, like, The problems are there. It's just, are you, does it not worry you or are you good? Is the adventure still fun overall? Yeah. I mean, you know, is it fun to run? I mean, I'm making it fun to run, but I'm doing a lot of work, right? More work than I feel like I should have to do for a $50 adventure. And having just come off of a homebrew campaign set in Eberron, I had more fun with Eberron. So I think like. I bet you if I had started off with writing my own Icewind Dale campaign, I would have had more fun, I think, than trying to trying to worm this one. There's there's just so many things I've got to fix. And then I read in the f- further in the future, and there's so many things I know I'm gonna have to fix when I get there. And I'll just do it. That's fine. And a, you know, a DM can make any adventure good, is one of my one of my philosophies. So yeah. Anyway, I thought that was interesting. Let's talk about some reviews. So I mentioned that I was gonna start reviewing Patreon pages instead of just products and i picked two kind of big ones two big patreon two, two big patreon pages i don't know how to say it you know what? they're not patreons they're patreon sites that i love and both of these have a lot of free content that you can get without signing up for their for their Patreon. but i would write when i close some windows here do, do, do. whoops i should have kept that out of one. Oh, great both of these offer content for everybody. Both of them offer exclusive content for patrons of their site. And I am, patro- I am a patron of both of these sites and I, ad- I adore them. The first one is Printable Heroes. So Printable Heroes is, I, I, don't, know, I don't know the person's name that, that does it. It, it, it escapes me. And Printable Heroes is an artist who makes flat images, two-dimensional printable miniatures. I'm excellent artists. I love their style, right? I love that. Let's, let's uh, open this up to 120. I love their style. They have a great way of taking the same sort of model, but making them slightly different. Although they serve very different purposes with just slight modifications to the art, which is a really smart thing. That means they can do a lot of different ones, a lot of different sort of, of miniatures for, uh, look at this and wave echo cave encounter. I didn't know about this one. I guess that one is a, it comes with a whole bunch of stuff. Talented collaboration with Adventurous Maps provides maps and miniatures needed to represent the locations and characters in Wave Echo Cave, Encounters from Lost Mine of Phandelver. That's really cool. I'll have to go look at that. That, That's new. Marshall Short. Yes, thank you. Sorry. Marshall Short is the artist who has done this. Uh, He's done it a long time. He's got really, just the style of art I adore. I think they did uh, did a Kickstarter or he partnered with a Kickstarter to do a bunch of flat minis of these. And you can see how you have like a human noble and a vampire spawn same basic shape cuz a humanoid is a humanoid but very different very different look right so you have all these different vampire spawns and then for each one there's different styles right different colors different styles hood or no hood you know really really cool stuff like look at that guy right really really cool so how do these so how do these work so what you can do with these is you can print them. You, 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 can, you can export them. Let's see if I can just grab one. I should have grabbed that vampire spawn. Let me find that vampire spawn again because I love that vampire. I like this drow mage though. Let's do the drow mage, right? And see how they have an elf druid and a drow mage? Just slight style color differences and you've got an entirely different type of character. So here is the free PDF and it doesn't... So you have to open it up in Adobe to get it right. Oh, and I guess it works here too in Chrome. Right. And you can put, oh yeah, that outline doesn't work. So it really requires Adobe. Uh, You have to open up an Adobe reader in order to format them. But essentially what you do is you can, you open up your PDF and you set them all up like this. You can actually create a black outline around each of the miniatures so that you can cut them really closely and, and they have like a black silhouette around them. And you print them out. And what I did is I printed them out on photo paper, right? I have a color, a color inkjet printer that I can print on photo paper at real high, you know, real high resolution. And they look great. They're, they're, they're nice and shiny and they're great. And what you do is you, you print out a sheet like this. You cut them out, you fold them over and paint. You use some, some like Elmer's paste, paste them together. And then you cut around the outer edge with the black with some scissors. Doesn't take a lot of time. And you get a really great, miniature you get a really great two-dimensional miniature now the the advantage of this the price is right for one photo paper is not cheap and you, you have to have a printer so that your upfront crossed of if you don't have a color inkjet printer that can print on photo paper you'd have to buy one if you're going to do this and that's probably a bit much I think I ended up doing that just for this though I, I did buy a printer I've got some canon thing HP now I've got an HP with the crazy subscription service but whatever and it was like 120 bucks. And you can, the, the neat thing you can do is you can add to a page, right? I, I made a page here. Let's see if I can open this up. I had trouble with this before. So I might, I might have to create a new page. Yeah. For some reason, I'm having trouble with this. So you create a new page, right? And I've got my drow guy here. And let's say I want vampire. And I want one of those vampire spawn guys that I liked. Where's that red, that cool red one, right? And I can drop him on here, and I can create, and then let's, oh, we need some female, female vampire spawns. Let's grab her in the red dress. And I can add a bunch of different ones here. And let's say I want a beholder, right? Let's create a beholder. Which kind of beholder do I want? We will grab a Xanathar guy. And I put a beholder on there. And what else do I want? Death Knight, Tiefling Death Knight. That's pretty, that's special. Do a tiefling death Knight, right and you can see the black silhouette here so i can fill a page with whatever miniatures i need for whatever game i'm going to run print it out and and save on my photo quality paper because photo paper is expensive right it's like i don't know probably 50 cents a sheet or something like that a buck a sheet but now since I can put exactly what minis I want on the sheet, I can then export this to PDF. I can print it and then I can do my pasting and cutting of these minis. And I have exactly the minis I need for whatever session I was going to run and, and then throw them in a bag when I'm done. And then I have like, I'm slowly building my collection. So I was talking about miniatures before and how one of the problems when you collect miniatures is you never seem to have the miniature that you, that you need. Oh yeah. One question is like, well, how do you, how do you make a base? There's a way to make a base a paper base in here but you can also I went to Amazon I'm not going to pull it up but I went to Amazon and there's a way you you can get sort of paper mini bases that have like a curved slit in them and you can slide your mini into that curved slit and that holds it really well too so there's a the other thing you do is binder clips if you have like one inch binder clips you can put a one inch binder clip on the bottom and that will that will hold it in place that's a little that that ain't great but the paper you know any any sort of paper craft miniature can work can work pretty well I bet you that if you kind of folded the bottom up or rolled it up so it was a little thicker at the bottom you could get it to fit inside of a paizo one of those paizo bases too if you happen to have those so but the real advantage of a system like this is you can get exactly the miniatures you need if you need a bunch of trolls you can print exactly as many trolls as you need you don't have to worry about like oh man i have three trolls but now i'm gonna have to use slots because i ran out of troll miniatures right which is a common problem with miniatures no matter how many trust me like i've got thousands of miniatures right thousands of pre-painted miniatures and I, I I always either I can't find the one that I need at a given time, or I never have enough of the one that I need. It's not always true. Like I have plenty of skeletons, I have plenty of goblins and kobolds and stuff like that. I'm ne- I'm rarely gonna run out. But every so often, you know, every so often you you just don't have. Is there's like that one kind of mini you really wish you had, and you just can't get it. And you can't get enough of them. Here you can get as many as you want. And yeah, as you say, it's like, you know, what's the cost? Probably between ink and paper and everything. It's probably a buck a page right? Plus your time to cut them out and everything, which isn't insignificant. But I think it's probably the most efficient way to have really cool stand-up miniatures that I have seen. I really love it. So their Patreon, if you go to Patreon, the Printable Heroes Patreon page, it's I think it's a very successful patron, right? 400 4000 backers making almost $10,000 a month. Good for him. And what you get when you sign up for his, oh, look at that. Look at the ropers with, or the, the, the piercers that fall. That's really cool. When you sign up for his patron, his, his Patreon page, you get more access to more versions, more colors, more variants of all of those minis. And in many cases, the variants are really good. So I am a, I am a supporter. I don't even remember what tier I'm at. Three bucks, I think I'm, I'm paying something like my membership. I am a $3 a month backer. And it does two things for me. One is it gives me access. I have remained a backer even though I went to online play. It's an important thing for online play. He also offers tokens, VTT tokens of these things as well. So you can get a lot of really cool tokens uh, for this. So really great Patreon. I got to, you know, I'm late and I got to talk about another one. Really, really great patreon page i'm I'm a big fan i love it i remained a supporter all throughout covid because i I would be willing to use the tokens but also because i just i love his art and i wanted to support it and that's what patreon is about so I'm, i'm happy to do so the other patreon page i want to talk about is tabletop audio so well that was that's the website uh where's the patreon page is that here we go support on patreon so Tabletop Audio, is a, he's, a, he's a composer, an actual music composer, who makes ambient music for, for role-playing games. And he's got hundreds. Uh, there, are, there are 273 tracks. They are 10-minute long tracks. They can repeat, so you can sort of set it and, and repeat. They cover many different genres, sci-fi, historical modern nature, horror, fantasy, of course and they're really really good they're they're great not only are they wonderful for rpgs not only are they a wonderful background to kind of keep in the background while you're running an rpg you're running your your, your game i love listening to them just around the house i just they they sit really nicely in the background they sound it's it, many many tracks i have a bunch of listed tracks that i put here rivertown secret garden desert awaits ethereal Plain, forest day Middle Earth, Dawn, Sun Dappled Trail, Haven, Dying World, Ghost Town, Temple Garden, Thieves Guild, Waterdeep Night. I'm going to paste all this in the. This will all be in the notes, by the way. Waterdeep Night, Druid Hilltop, Floating Ice Castle, Ice Throne, Protean, Protean Fields, Sea of Moving Ice, Shadowfell, Underdark, Mushroom Forest, and The Ori. Those are some that I have. Like I downloaded the MP3 and had them on my phone because I love listening to them so much. And I love just setting them on, listening on to repeat, and really, really enjoying them. So uh, you can, I think if you can stream audio, I think you can stream this. Are you legally able to do so? I don't know. You have to check the site and see if he offers anything for streaming. I think he does have something for streaming his his audio. I should stream it if I could. So is it on Spotify? I don't know, but I do know he has an Amazon Alexa app. I've tried using it. It's a little weird. I had a little trouble with it, but there is an Alexa app to be able to to use this stuff as well. You can build your own playlists. So like I was was playing around with like an Icewind Dale playlist that had all the icy stuff in it, and I really dug it. So when you support the patron, he's got 1500 patrons, and when you support his Patreon page, you get alternate versions of these tracks that you can download in MP3. So like there's one called the Ori and it has really cool sounds of like big machines moving around in the back. But the music is also really nice. And if you just want the music without the big machines, which I find really is soothing and calming and I enjoy it. The machines makes me a little edgy. You can get an alternate version by subscribing to his, by, by subscribing to the patron and you get notifications about new ones and everything else. Really good. Again, I I, I think how much am I paying for this one? Three bucks a month and really really great patron site really good patreon site really good creative stuff so now you've got miniatures and these are good lazy dm tools right like being able to print all the miniatures that you need using printable heroes is a really good, efficient way to get the miniatures that you want and 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 way cheaper and and way easier to do than getting like pre-plastic, pre-painted miniatures. I've, I've done them. I've done the whole cop, cut and paste thing. It's not that hard. Oh, one trick with the miniatures is if you're making a miniature, you can take a Sharpie and go around the outer edge with a Sharpie and it gets rid of the white cutting where you cut around the black border and it makes it really look cool. So fun, fun thing to do, really easy. And then music, good music. Like I've talked about this in Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master. Good music is a great way to get people in the atmosphere. I love listening to music while we are playing a D&D. I keep it very low and it's just sort of in the background. I play video game music a lot of times, but I should play a lot more tabletop audio stuff because it's really, really great. So check out all these patrons, Printable Heroes and Tabletop Audio, three bucks each. Really good, really good Patreon sites, really good services for our D&D games. I love them. So there you go. Hot take. What's the hot take for today? D&D spinoffs aren't canon. So there was an article that came out. There's a groovy, uh, yeah, groovy bot lets you stream on Discord. There was an article in comic book, this is going to be full of ads. Oh my god, with the ads. Oh god way please please so wizards of the coast have provided clarity god look at the size of these ads are huge wizards of the coast have provided clarity on the canon of dnd in regards to what it considers canon oh yeah so basically there's an article on who said it jeremy crawford said it for many years jeremy crawford's apparently the new front man for for many years we in the dnd rpg studio have considered things like DD novels DD video games DD comic books as wonderful expressions of dnd they are not canonical for the dnd role-playing game and this kind of when it came out and I'll let you know. You can read the whole article and look at all of their glorious full-page ads for insurance companies. Do you know insurance companies? Here's a little thing you might not know: insurance companies, some in some cases, pay seventy dollars per click for insurance stuff. If, it's, well, if you want to know if insurance things are a scam, they are because they will pay up to seventy bucks to get somebody to click on it. So his point is that like there's lots of different, especially when you have like movies and comics, and now they like they're, as they are expanding the lines of D&D, they're they're saying, hey, we just want you to know that this is not canon, right? And this gets into like the Marvel canonical universe and stuff like that. But in the world of D&D, it's different than Marvel or Star Wars, right? And Star Wars, it kind of matters because you're kind of keeping track of which movies are which, right? And Marvel, it's like which movies are which, you know, even like the X-Men movies. I remember like when I watched Logan. And Logan was so bleak, and I was like, "Is this really the sequel to all of the other X-Men movies that have come out? Because boy, they failed miserably, right? If, if, like, think about how poor things went for the X-Men. If Logan was, I said, it's much better if Logan is a standalone movie that isn't part of the universe, right? So, so the hot take is, no one gets to decide what is and isn't canon for your game except you. You get to decide you and your players sitting around your table. Nobody can influence you to do anything you don't want to do or, or make you do anything you don't want to do. You can, you can decide what you want to do and you get to decide what's canon and what's not. And if you have players that the, the probably the only time when player where this gets to be a problem is if your players are very invested in a world and you're not right. Or they are invested in the world one way and you're invested in another. And then it really helps to kind of sit down and draw those lines probably have something in place to kind of say, if during the game I I say something with the, with the world that doesn't mesh with what you've got, keep a note of it and let's talk about it afterwards and, and either come to a conclusion. But generally speaking, the DM's view of the world, you could say like, I'm in the Forgotten Realms, I'm in Icewind Dale, the things that we're doing in this campaign are not canonical with all of the rest of D&D and the Forgotten Realms. So you will see lots of similarities, but pretend it's an alternate take on the Forgotten Realms. And like, I'm doing something in my Rime of the Frostmaiden game that I'm sure is not canon. It's sure it's making a big impact on like essentially how Icewind Dale became a frozen place. That I may i make it up. So I know it's not canonical, right? There's no way it's canonical. But I like it and I'm going to run with it. And if people there are like, that's not how Icewind Dale. And like, or then they do they go in the is the Icewind Dale here? It's probably, it can help people to know like what the difference is. But Zip Zeph says, this is just the wrong word. Canonical Canon is a historical, generally accepted view of what is critical. Okay. So the point is like, whatever d d decides is and isn't canonical does not matter to you. It doesn't matter. You get to choose what you want to be canonical and what you don't want to be canonical. Right? Right. I threw, it's what you do in your campaign. And I'm sure like, you know, that's not really the biggest hot take, but when I see people get fired up about this and like, oh my God, like that means all the books don't matter. Like, you know, they mattered before. Like, it doesn't matter, right? Like, relax, relax. Stop letting other people live in your head, right? This is the don't let, don't let Wizards decisions affect your happiness. Be happy, you know, be happy in this hobby. Wizards is one publisher in this hobby right? And we get to do what we want. And, and what's wonderful about this game is we can do whatever we want. We can do whatever we want. Nobody is in our way to do anything. We can rewrite the game however we want. We can rewrite the worlds however we want. We can change everything we want to do. Nobody can come and stop you from doing that. So there's nothing in the way, right? There's, there's nothing they are either creating or not creating that, that affects your ability to enjoy the hobby. And that, that is my, my hot take for the day. I think that is it for the show today. I got through everything and I've got two minutes to spare. Uh, I wanna thank you for hanging out and watching the show today. Uh, if you enjoyed this show and you want to help me out, there are four things you can do to help me out. One, you can subscribe to the Sly Flourish newsletter. Two, you can subscribe to me on YouTube. Three, you can sign up and become a, a Patreon supporter of Sly Flourish by going to patreon.com slash Sly and signing up. Or four, you can pick up any of my books. but the two that are most popular are Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master and the Lazy DM's Workbook. So thank you very much for coming today. Have a great day.